Eventually, I'm going to end up in Exodus, the 18th chapter, so just bear with me just a minute. Um, oh, I guess about four years ago, I got very interested in Moses, and that's kind of odd for me, because at the beginning, I was like, I'd just rather read the New Testament, but I'm grateful now that God changed my way of thinking. But Moses just fascinated me, just from his birth, the way he was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, um, growing up there, um, you know, his whole lifestyle, you know, his whole life from killing an Egyptian, from him running away, staying gone for 40-something years on the, out in the wilderness till the guy said, okay, it's time to come back. You know, his burning bush experience, and, and, and actually it was about four years ago that I actually preached on this, and I, re- I reread the message the other night, and I'm like, Lord, what was I thinking? Why? Why? But, but, um, he, I got to the 18th chapter, and that's where I, that's where I stayed for a while. And I learned a lot from staying there and chasing rabbits and and trying to figure out why he did this and why didn't you do that and, and, how, and how did you deal with all these people when all they did was complain about something. But now, four years later, I have learned so much more from this story than what I had previously. And what I want to speak on tonight is how to avoid burnouts. Burnouts, not just spiritually, but physically. Not just in ministry, but in our personal life. Our homes, our marriages, our children, you know, ministry. We get to going and before we know it, we've realized a week or two's passed and we haven't sat down and took a breath. And then before we know it, our body's like, okay, I'm done. You're going to rest now. So... When I realized this is what God wanted to do to take this in a different direction, so I started doing some research. I wanted to find out about burnout. So I went to Google, and right when I typed in burnout, something else popped up on the screen, and it said, it said stages of burnout. I didn't think there were stages. I just thought you got really, really tired because you didn't slow down and your body would crash. But then I guess it would make sense once I looked at the definition of it, a physical or mental collapse caused by overwork or stress. Okay, so the stages are this, and it says all you need is like two of the symptoms per stage, and the odds are you're fixing to burn out. The first step is just stress, okay? Any of these symptoms, see if any of them may sound familiar. Persistent irritability, persistent anxiety, periods of high blood pressure, insomnia, Forgetfulness, inability to concentrate, or headaches. That's the first stage. Okay. The second stage, energy conservation. Lateness for work, procrastination. You need a three-day weekend. Persistent tiredness in the morning. Social withdrawal. Increased coffee and tea or cola consumption or a cynical attitude. And then the final stage, which is exhaustion. 
chronic sadness or depression, chronic mental fatigue, chronic physical fatigue, chronic headaches, and chronic stomach problems, the desire to drop out of society, the desire to move away from friends, work, and perhaps even family. And the Texas Medical Association goes on to say that people usually get to stage three before they realize that anything's even wrong with them. They get all the way to where they're ready to just check out before they realize something's wrong. But they went on to say that this is a process that usually occurs sequentially. It's a process through stages, thus giving you the opportunity to recognize symptoms and take the necessary steps to prevent it. So that got me to thinking to prevent it. So how can we prevent it? Especially if, if you've burned out before, you, you, you should know the signs or the symptoms. So what can we do to make sure it doesn't happen again? Because God never intended for any one person to do it all, whether it's in ministry or even at home. He never, he never intended for one person to bear that load. We're the body of Christ. We're not, it's not just me or, or you, we're the body. And each body, the body has different functions and different things that have to be done and no one person can't do it all. We just, we're not wired that way. I mean, we can try, but we, just, we can't do it. Dear Exodus 17, I'm not going to, I'm going to just kind of paraphrase the chapter there. The people coming to Moses, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're thirsty, they want water, they're just, they're not happy. So God goes to Moses, okay, what do you want me to do? These people are fixing to kill me. Go take your staff, strike the rock, you'll have water. And he did what Moses said, and Obviously, yes, they, well, he, Moses did what God said, so yes, and then they had water. And then there was a battle <clears throat> in the midst of all that, where Moses had to stand up as long as his hands were held up. And that staff was in his hand. As long as his hands were holding up, he was, they were fine. They were winning. The Israelites were winning. But if he got tired of holding his hands up, his hands dropped. They started losing. So her and Aaron had to come alongside and put a stone under him where he could sit down, and they had to hold his hands up. Okay, and that got my attention, but I'll come, I'll come back to it. I'll come back to it later. Okay, in Exodus 18, and I'm going to be reading from the message because I, I like the way this one reads, and I'll start at verse 13. It says, the next day Moses took his place to judge the people. People were standing before him all day long, from morning to night. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, what's going on here? Why are you doing all this? And all by yourself, letting everybody line up before you from morning to night. Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me with questions about God. When something comes up, they come to me. I judge between a man and his neighbor and teach them God's laws and instructions. Moses' father-in-law said, this is no way to go about it. You'll burn out. And the people right along with you. This is way too much for you. You can't do this alone. Now listen to me. 
Let me tell you how to do this so that God will be with you. Be there for the people before God. But let matters of concern be presented to God. Your job is to teach them the rules and instructions to show them how to live, what to do. And then you need to keep a sharp eye out for competent men, men who fear God, men of integrity, men who are incorruptible, and, appointed, and appoint them as leaders over groups organized by the thousands, by the hundreds, by fifty, and by ten. They'll be responsible for the everyday work of judging among the people. They'll bring the hard cases to you, but in the routine cases, they'll be the judges. They will share your load, and that will make it easier for you. If you handle the work this way, you'll have the strength to carry out whatever God commands you, and the people in their setting will flourish also. And then right there at the end of verse 27, it said, Moses listened to counsel of his father-in-law and did everything he said. Moses listened. And he did more than listen. He put it to work. He put it into practice. Jethro... When Jethro came to visit Moses and he heard about everything that God had done for them, he was joyous about it. But then when he saw how Moses during the day, all day, would sit there and listen to complaint after complaint or issue after issue, problem after problem, Jethro had the wisdom to say, this this isn't going to get it. You can't go on like this because... You just can't do it. That's just too many people for one person to try to judge over and hear all these cases. So Jethro said, let me, let me help you here. Let me, let me give you some advice. But listen to me. And Moses did. And it worked. People that have that kind of wisdom, sometimes I've learned it, it it does good to listen because they know what they're talking about. They've got experience and wisdom on their side, and they're not going to steer you wrong. So, then I got to thinking, I'm like, well, Lord, this this is a great thing here. These are great steps to follow, to delegate things that others can do, to put people over different areas, to free you up to do what God has intended for you to do. But I'm like, how do you apply that? How, how do you take a step back? How do you ask for more? How do you shift from wanting to have your hand in everything to delegate and say, okay, can you help me here? Or can you do this? And then how do you just keep from just crashing and burning? And one of the things that hit me is to stop taking on more than what you know you can handle. And it's okay to say no. Sounds simple. I don't like saying no. I did, yeah, okay, I'll do it, sure. And I've got to make a phone call when I leave here because my, my yeah come out too quick for a favorite school. And I'm like, yeah, I cannot do that after I just told them yes because I've got something else I have to do, but it'll be okay. I want to help, but I just can't help tomorrow. And it's okay. But 
Then I remembered something a few years back. I had that Jethro moment. I had a, well, I say a Jethro speaking to me. Um, I guess when I first started getting involved in children's ministry, I thought I had to do every event. I had to do everything. I had to have my hand in all of it. Now, I did it for one year. And right during Kids Crusade that year, I, I got really sick. I'm like, I'm sitting good. Well, next year started, I got approached. So, Nora, you got a team this year? You got help for these events coming up? Well, uh, I've got some help. I don't have much of a team, I don't guess, because I'm still learning at this point. I'm like, but there's just some things, you know, I, I have to do that I can't delegate out. And I just got this look like, and then they said, you know what? Delegate out everything that you can. Let somebody else do it. Let somebody else come alongside you, help you, and then that'll free you up to do only what you can do. And it was like that light bulb moment, and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? It was so simple, but it took somebody else to speak into my life and said, hey, you can't keep doing this. You you just can't. But if I hadn't listened to that advice, if I'd only heard it and not done anything about it, it wouldn't have worked. I had a choice to make, just like Moses did. He could have not listened to Jethro. I'm glad he did because now we have that 18th chapter of Exodus, and it's really insightful. I came away first time from an administrative standpoint. This time, I, you know what? You can do this in every area, and it doesn't, have any, it doesn't have to be all about ministry. It can be about home. Kids getting involved in sports, getting involved in dance, getting involved in gymnastics. It's okay to tell them, no, you know what? You can't do everything because mama can't go everywhere at one time. There's two of you and there's one of me. They might not like it, but they'll be okay. <clears throat> and then what got me, I started looking in, in my Bible. It has this little section in the middle where it'll cross-reference another scripture. And it took me to Acts, the sixth chapter. And it showed how even they did what Moses, not Moses, but what Jethro had told Moses to do. It starts on the, uh, well, it'll be one through four because I'm reading out of the message version of Acts 6. But it says, during this time, as the disciples were increasing in numbers by leaps and bounds, hard feelings developed among the Greek-speaking believers, the Hellenists, toward the Hebrew-speaking believers because their widows were being discriminated against in the daily food lines. So the 12 called a meeting of the disciples, they said, it wouldn't be right for us to abandon our responsibilities for preaching and teaching the word of God to help with the care of the poor. So, friends, choose seven men from among you, whom everyone trusts, men full of the Holy Spirit and good sense, and we'll assign them these tasks. Meanwhile, we'll stick to our assigned task of prayer and speaking God's word. They got that right out of Exodus 18. They knew that, you know what, this is the, you're, what you're coming to me with is important, but I can't take up that cause. So here is you a checklist to go by. Make sure everybody trusts them. Make sure they're full of the Holy Spirit, that they've got good sense, that they're, they can't be corrupted. And you put them over this. And... And the congregation thought it was a great idea. And they they done it. 
just like it was with Moses. He was called to be their pastor, their shepherd, their leader. And he was doing so many other things, listening to every, every complaint. Why'd you bring me out here? I could have been eating this over there in Egypt. Now you got me out here, what, just to die? And Moses couldn't run nowhere. He couldn't. He couldn't say, Lord, you got to get me out of here. I mean, they're in the wilderness. Moses didn't have too far to go. But God sustained him. But when he listened to Jethro, when he put those people that had those qualifications over the thousands, over the hundreds, over the fifties, and over the tens, that freed him up. And he could go before God praying for his people, praying for that congregation. And then he could talk to them, teach them the scripture, teach them the ways of God, and then show them how to live it out. Show them how. To me, that's important. Anybody can say they're a believer, anybody can quote me scripture. But what's that walk look like? If I come up to you somewhere and you don't know I'm there and you're under pressure about something, what's going to come out of you? Is it going to be the Spirit? Or is it going to be something you wish nobody at church would hear? It's like I think it's in Galatians, you know the tree by the fruit it bears. Last Sunday, during Sunday school, and I'm loving that Robert, Robert Moore series. It talked about, am I too tired to have fun? And he brought up the Sabbath and how important it is for everybody to have that one day of rest. He mentioned in there he was going to get up with another pastor friend to have lunch. And what about Thursday? He said, oh, I have nothing. He said, okay, let's schedule that. He said, no, you don't understand. I have scheduled nothing. That's my day of I'm not doing anything. I'm going to pray. I'm going to study the scripture. I'm going to sit at the, in the presence of Jesus. But other than that, I'm not, I'm not doing anything. That's my day. And I think it was a Thursday for him. Because it's like, I think it was Miss Karen and Mr. Jim One. If you're a leader on a Sunday here at a church, whether you're a pastor or a youth pastor, whatever it is you do, you can't rest on a Sunday. You're going to come in here and be running every way. But you still got to pick that one day. Because if you don't, your body will get sick. Something will happen and your body said, okay, it's time to rest now. Past time. And then I got to looking at some other stuff and doing some research and going off in different directions and stuff. And And a picture on my Google screen of a sinkhole popped up. I'm like, God, what are you trying to show me of the sinkhole? I'm like, this, this is not making any sense to me. But I clicked on it, and I read it, and it, and it was a thing that tells you what causes them. You know, at the point, I'm like, I don't know what causes them. I know I don't want to be on the ground when, if one of them occurs. I have no desire to, to get caught under all that stuff. But I started reading, and I started researching it. And what causes 
a sinkhole to occur is when like underground rocks, types of rocks that can dissolve with water such as limestone over a period of time I mean, you can't see it going on. It's, it's, inter- it's under the ground. You think everything's fine, that you're standing on good ground, that nothing's going to get you balanced off, that nothing's going to shake you up. You think everything's good. You know, I'm doing this. I'm going to church on Sunday. I'm teaching this Sunday school class. I'm, I'm going to, you know, fill in for pastor here if he needs me. I'm going to help the youth. I'm going to help clean if I just whatever I need to do. I'm okay because I'm standing still on firm ground. But what you can't see is how that water has just continued to circulate and continue to move and it's dissolved. The rock creating a void. And if there's a void there, something's got to fill it, especially if it's ground. Something's got to fill up the, the spaces that the, that the rock created when that water dissolved it. So what happens? All that, all that sand, all that grass, all the dirt, it sinks and caves in to fill the void that those rocks fill. And whatever is standing on top of it, or whatever is around it, it's all going to crash. And it's all going to go into the ground to fill the void that needs to be filled because what held it all together isn't there anymore. Over time, water got rid of it. I learned something new. I did not know water could dissolve a rock, but apparently, hey, it can. But then that got me to thinking. We'll pack so much on us. Not never once saying, you know what, I can't take on anything else. You know what, I can't, I can't help right here. I want to, but I'm just, I just can't. But instead we'll be like, okay, sure. And that's one more thing. I'm going to help at a ball game tonight. I'm going to work the concession stand. Okay, that's... that's Something else already on an overloaded individual. And when you crash, if you go through that sinkhole, everything that you've got weighted on you is going to go in right on top of you. And I was like, hmm. And I'm like, God, what are you, what are you trying to show me? Because it's just, it's so easy to get caught up in our life. It's so easy to get caught up in in situations or things or home life with, with your spouse and your children or grandchildren and, and wanting to go everywhere and be at every function and wanting to have your hand in different things and wanting to help and wanting to, wanting to do, you know, wanting to be there for everybody. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as there's a balance to it. Because when I was researching, I read this quote, and it really jumped out at me. It said, there may be overdoing and well-doing. I said, wow. And then I had another little, I'm like, well, you know what? If, if you're run down, it's okay. You'd be like, you know what? I need help here. Can anybody help me? And you'd be surprised sometimes, I think, if, if you would just ask you'd be surprised the people that are willing to say, you know what, hey, I'll help. Some of them have just been waiting for the opportunity, but they're not going to leave their comfort zone at the time to come about, hey, is there anything I can help you do? They'll wait. Because it's like it said in that 
in Exodus, even the people flourished when Moses applied what Jethro told him. Even the people flourished. Because you can get tired of waiting. You can get tired of standing in a line all day. I don't, I don't, I don't like standing in long lines with a bunch of people. It's, Especially when you got 10 or 15 people trying to, they got a buddy up there and you're right there at the goal and they're going to let five of their friends cut in front of you. No. Go to the back. I've waited an hour, so can you. But you get tired doing that. I have, anyway. Staying in line all day or at the line at the shopping center or at the line in the grocery store, the line at the, wherever the line at a football game, a line in a concession stand. I think sometimes that wears me out more than the actual activity. But when they had something to do, However many judges Moses selected based on those requirements, they flourished. They had something that they could call theirs, something that they were responsible for. And I bet you, because they knew, you know what, if I don't do this right, I'm held accountable. If I mess up, I'm going to have to give an account for what I've done. And they flourished. And that showed me right there, you know what? There's a place for everybody in the body of Christ. Because it's like I told the youth the other night, God has something for each of us to do in the body. He's called each of us to do something that is unique to you that only you can do because he's called you to do it. And I'm going to end with this. In the 17th chapter of Exodus, whenever Moses was holding his hands up, when the Israelites were at war, every time he got tired, And I can't imagine holding my hands up like that all day long, especially with the staff in one hand. Mm -mm. But every time, if his hands dropped, Israel had started to lose. But he he had Aaron and he had her with him. And they saw what needed to be done, and they acted upon it. They didn't wait for somebody to say, hey, look, you see this? We need to do something. They acted. They got a big stone big enough for Moses to sit upon. One got one arm, one got the other. They lifted him up. They held his arms up. They helped their leader. That's what jumped out at me four years ago, and that's what jumped out at me again when I was reviewing this again. They held up their leader. He was doing what God told him to do. But he got tired. And they held him up. They helped their leader. They helped their shepherd. They helped their pastor. They didn't wait for somebody to say, why aren't you helping? Why aren't you doing this? They saw a need. They saw something that needed to be done. And they did it. And you would be surprised how many people 
would thank you if you just saw something. And you just went and done it. And not, and, not, and not be asked to do it. You just see the need and you meet it. And that's what's so amazing about, about TFA. With Pastor being out, being in Colorado with his family right now. Everything's just still running. We miss Pastor dearly, but everything is still going because you know what? The people here, we, they see what's going on. They see the need. They're meeting it. They're filling in where he can be with his family. And that's what a church body does. I want to thank everybody for letting me, letting me share tonight what I believe that you know God has been speaking to me since I found out that I would be speaking here tonight. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's been an honor and a privilege to be, up, to be able to do this. And I never thought I'd ever do this, but, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a privilege. And um, I want to close in prayer. Continue to remember Kelly.